Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. I mean, I grew up with football. I played football. I watched football. Loved football. But as I grew into middle age, suddenly my old obsession began to feel wrong. And I don't think I'm really alone in this. There were the studies about concussions in the NFL, the way that college football players, disproportionately young black men, were exploited by their schools. And then, of course, the NFL's treatment of Colin Kaepernick. But I still love the sport. Like fossil fuels, I just can't quite quit. And to be honest with you, my UCLA Bruins and the Niners are going to be good this year. And I find myself kind of longing to watch them and to talk about them with my dad and friends and kind of like the broader Bay Area community. So I brought on two people I really respect to help me think through the ethics of my football consumption. So you can think of it as kind of a loose debate, but not hopefully not the shouty kind that you might see. Um, And we also want to hear from you. So I want to open the phone lines early. Have you stopped watching football because of ethics concerns? Have you done the kind of moral math and decided to continue watching? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or you can email your comments and uh, deliberations to forum at kqed.org. Okay, here's who's here to help. First, we have Steve Allman, who literally wrote the book Against Football. I think you know what side of the debate he's on. Welcome to the show, Steve. Thanks. We also have Joel Anderson, a staff writer at Slate and host of the spectacular season three and also upcoming season six of Slow Burn and also somewhat relevant to this conversation he was the fastest 10-year-old in America as a kid and went on to play football at TCU. Um, sorry about that, Joel. I had to get it in there. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I'm glad you said it so I didn't have to. <laughs> that was going to be your first answer. Um, so, Joel, if you had to write a book, uh, you signed the book deal and then looked down at your Word document and went, oh, my God, and it was called For Football. Um, what, where do you start? What are you writing about? Well, I mean, I think, you know, right off the top, I have to say that it is hard to make a case for football. Or maybe I'm not as far uh, against football as Steve, for instance. But um, I do take seriously the positive parts of the game, even if it's likely a net negative. Um, it can and does rally people in schools and communities together, um, for better or worse. You know, um, throughout the South, I'm from Texas. Um, it's often, you know, some of the more diverse crowds and gatherings of people you will see anywhere doing anything. Um, in any state, uh, not just Texas. Um, The game itself is about as diverse as it gets at the youth level. So um, football coaches and the people that support the game have made it accessible to black and brown children in a way that most other youth sports don't. Um, So I take that seriously that, you know, I know that if, if, if a, a black child somewhere wants to, you know, participate in a team sport, 
more often than not, youth football coaches will make a way for them and find a path for them. And like, that's obviously some of that is self-interest, but it's still valuable for them to do that. Um, and I think, you know, the other thing is that, you know, football is one of those sports that's least dependent on the myth of American individualism, you know, like it's probably the most team dependent sport you have. And so you learn about compromise and sacrifice through the game in a way that you don't quite always learn through other sports. Now, I mean, that's the, that's a very tepid case. I understand that it's like <laughs> football has like all these things on it, but like I do take those pieces of the game very seriously. Yeah. Um, and Steve, let's ask you, there's a bunch of different things about football that one could focus on and, and say, well, this is the thing, you know, the college players, you know, the average length of a pro career, think, think, things like that. But for you, as, as someone who has been a fan in your life, what, what was the straw that broke the camel's back in this case? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, I, I want to say that I did write against football, but it has this subhead like that's called one. <laughs> Just <form>. kidding. <laughs> no, it's, exactly. Gotcha. You know, psych. No, the, the subhead is actually one fan's reluctant manifesto because like you and Joel, like I'm a fan. I come to the sport. I played it as a kid. Not well. I was probably the world's <laughs> slowest 10 year old, but <laughs> I, I loved playing the game and I didn't want to write a book that was like a a screed that was saying, oh, this dumb, brutal game, we can't get over it, it's such, it's so lousy. People who um, understand and love the game, they're not gonna be talked out of it. That's, there's no point in trying to, try to control somebody else's behavior or shame them for the love of a game that I think is, I think everything Joel said is right on the money and I also think it's a, almost a form of art. It's so strategically dense, it's so balletic, it has this primal aggression and violence that is also part of how our appetites operate. It's not a coincidence that it's the biggest thing in America. And I think the thing that I guess I, I, I didn't wake up one day and say, oh my God, I can't watch football. It's like this expression woke as if somehow we move from a state of not being in consciousness about the morality of our behavior to suddenly being conscious of it. That's nonsense. We a little bit at a time, reluctantly and fitfully, make some kind of what we perceive to be moral progress. Maybe that sounds pretentious, or maybe we just get to feel more guilty than we get to feel the pleasurable parts of consuming mm -hmm. something like football. Mm -hmm. And that is a journey. That is not Saul, you know, Saul on the road to Damascus and suddenly the scales fall from his eyes and he's bathed <laughs> in the light of grace. It's nonsense. It's a very fitful process. And all I was trying to do in Against Football was document my own journey from still loving the game and wanting to watch it to feeling that in a whole bunch of different ways, it was kind of a system uh, of, of exploitation and involved values that were wildly out of sync with my personal values. Like if I, my five-year-old daughter was watching a football game and would ask a simple five-year-old question, where are the girls? I would have to say, well, in this world, actually, it's a little bit like medieval times where the men are valuable. <laughs> or worse, you're going to point to cheerleaders on the side, you know? Well, probably, right. That's right. And say they're, they're shaking their money makers for minimum wage. Mm -hmm. That's the role of women in this particular world. I'm taking one example, but I think that applies across the board. Joel, I think, is is rightfully saying, hey, here is an avenue for kids of color. But another way of looking at that would be, yes, they are harvested and they are eventually, if they're talented enough, sucked into the capitalist maw of the football industrial complex. 
And those who get injured along the way or aren't quite good enough are literally treated as disposable. It's not the content of their character that we're interested in. It is literally how good they can play this game to entertain mostly white fans. Yeah, let's um, we were going to continue this, but I want to bring in some callers, too, because they want to talk about this. Matt from San Francisco. Welcome. Hi, thanks. Um, I a few years ago, uh, as a consumer of football, um, I was thinking about a lot of things in the world, like climate change and uh, political um, climate uh, and the, the things that you're talking about around football. It seems like climate change and the political climate, like those were insurmountable. <laughs> uh, right. There's no Senate blocking the changing of the NFL. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And so it just, it, it seemed like there were maybe 32 rich guys in power that could make the changes that we wanted to see. But those changes just like weren't happening. And so for me, as a consumer, I could make a change and just opt out mm. and, and take myself out of it. And so that's what I did. And so I'm, I'm no longer a consumer, and I have more time on Sundays. And I'm just like, <laughs> I think it, it, it's funny how, how much time I did put into it and how my life, it's just like it hasn't really changed. I have a little bit more time. And I'm just like, right. you know, I, I could like follow along in conversations. I kind of know you know, who's, who's where in, you know, what conferences. And, and last year um, I watched the Super Bowl, but I hadn't even watched the Super Bowl for a couple of years. Wow. And, you know, that's it. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just out of it now. Yeah. Matt, thank you for that. Um, Joel, it, it's a good point. Football could change. This isn't, this isn't an intractable uh, problem. Or, or is it? Like, what's stopping some of, these, uh, some of these things from changing? Is it really 32 rich guys who own NFL teams? Well, I mean, I think that, I mean, I do think that's a part of it. There's a lot of money to be made. I mean, in, if you follow college sports, for instance, you know that for the most part, athletic programs run and depend heavily on their investment in football, that it basically governs everything else. And so not, it's not even at the NFL that um, the money is, you know, what's most salient here. Uh, I, I, the one thing I would say, though, and I'm not, you know, I think everybody should get to make their own choices about what they want to watch and how they want to enjoy it and what things that they find ethical or unethical. I do think that, you know, people kind of get let off the hook um, in some ways when you focus on football. I mean, uh, gymnastics, um, if you were, if you watch the Olympics, um, if you follow gymnastics and the way that the, the women that uh, are the young girls that get into that system and the way that they're abused, you know, both physically, sexually, you know, all these other different ways, um, people support that. They don't say, oh, I don't, you know, I don't find myself uh, able to watch gymnastics anymore. Cheerleading, mm. you know, is, is responsible for so many catastrophic injuries and has all of the same sort of abusive dynamics um, of these other sports. So, um, I, you know, I get it. I, I totally understand why somebody, you know, might be a little revulsed by um, how bad the game is and how much of our attention and uh, how much of the oxygen it sucks up. But um, I just think that, you know, I, 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 I think football is sort of the easier way to sort of say, OK, you know what, I'm, I don't like that. I want to get out of it. But it doesn't like let you off the hook in terms of like all the other things that if we live in. We live in a, in a society that's built on inequity and like a lot of unethical activities and we sort of support them. But football, for whatever reason, I, 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 
gets a disproportionate amount of attention, but that's probably right because football, even when it's, you know, uh, people enjoy it it, 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 it sucks up a lot of attention. So I totally get it, but that's, that's sort of what I think about sometimes. Yeah. Um, Eric here writes, uh, I gave up football long ago. It's not morally acceptable to support a sport that causes severe and debilitating brain injuries to a large portion of those who participate. And that is made more horrific by the racist gladiatorial element where a largely white wealthier audience watches mostly black people, many of whom found was their root out of poverty. We'll look back on this part of our history sick at heart. Um, Megan from Los Gatos. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Hey, Alexis, I totally sympathize with your quandary. So football was, that was, I watched sports, I watched boxing, I watched football with my dad growing up. It was like my bridge to my dad. And then you get a little older, you get into high school, this is how I could talk to boys. I made a career in construction and I talked with my coworkers about it. We play fantasy football. It's all, you know, it's really fun and exciting. And yet I totally get this. It probably shouldn't even be played. The concussions, all the, my husband would say that, well, these guys are making a, a, you know, a a choice to do this. Well, most of these kids, you're 20 years old in college, your brain isn't even fully developed. So I, I really struggling with this. I know I should, I should kick the habit, but it's like, it's part of, it's part of our like day-to-day life in the office and with the people I talk with. And mm-hmm. it's really tough. Yeah. Um, Steve Almond, uh, you know, I think the, this, the idea that people choose to play football is, um, it, it's obviously true on, on some level. And yet I think in kind of the, <laughs> there's been a larger reevaluation of some of those like libertarian, like individual choice models. Um, and I wonder how you ended up thinking about, players choosing and then Joel I want to give you uh, a chance to talk about this as well as someone who, who did play for a long time um, so we'll go quick one two well everybody every fan carries around their suitcase full of rationalizations I carried it and still carry it to some extent for you know 50 years now and in one of the central items in that suitcase is hey the the, the players are adults and they get to choose and that is true because the focus and I think Matt was really on to this Really, the focus of my book is on fans. The football industrial complex exists because of us, because we make the decision with our time and attention and our money to create an incentive system. We can try to offload that onto players who are you know, participating or behaving in ways we don't like, our owners, or Roger Goodell. We can try to scapegoat those guys. But ultimately, the reason they have a lot of money and power is because football is a huge business and it's a huge business because we contribute that is all redounding to the individual fan sports talk radio almost always wants to subtract the fan's own role for that they don't want to attack their audience so they find these other scapegoats but to my way of thinking the reason that these contracts are so huge and that players are winding up essentially saying gee i have a choice i can do the thing i've trained to do my entire life that gives me the feeling the high and the sense of connection and sense of status that an inherently racist culture generally doesn't to to particularly young men of color and i can make five zillion dollars or i can say no to that that's Mm -hmm. nonsense that that is a choice that they're free to make but the incentives around that choice really redound to Fans like me who pay in in one way or another to a huge business. That's really what football is. It's a kind of football industrial complex. Joel, what do you think? 
Well, you know, the idea of choice is interesting because obviously there's a lot of cultural and social pressure. Um, so how much do you get to choose in that system? You know, um, mm -hmm. Steve talked about an incentive system where there are a lot of incentives uh, to play football under that system. Like, you know, just I'm thinking of myself here for a second. Did I actually choose to play football? I don't know. Um, my father played the game um, mm -hmm. all the way to college, you know, in the 1960s. Uh, he passed the love of the game on to me. I was raised in Texas and in a community where that was one of the primary choices you had in terms of extracurricular activities. Um, yeah. And that's where my friends were. Mm -hmm. So um, right. I don't know if, you know, at, at the early stage of it, if, if a lot of choice is involved or if you're just sort of nudged in that direction. But I'll say this at the end of the day, 25, you know, almost 25 years since my last football game in college, I would do it all over again. No mm -hmm. question. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I mean, I would definitely play again. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, it's not fun. now. Not now. I would fall yeah, apart right, into okay. a million pieces. <laughs> but my 60-year-old self uh, would definitely. And that's, I mean, I, the thing that I really struggle with, honestly, is that there is something when I, when I watch a game that is, uh, like, precognitive about the feelings that I have watching the game be played. And mm -hmm. and all of the uh, that whole suitcase of of both I have two suitcases actually. One is all the rationalizations and one is all the all the bad things that I know through time. I, like none of the bad things in the suitcase have the same visceral power mm -hmm. as like the feeling of like watching a well-executed fade, you know? I'm just like, "Oh, <laughs> You know, I just can't, I can't help it. And, and I think, I, I don't know. And, and I don't, I, I hesitate to analogize this too much to other problems that we have in our society, but I feel like there's something there and I, and I'm just not sure what it is. Um, so I, I yeah, um, there are uh, several other comments. There's a, a bunch of callers too. We're running out of uh, time. But one of the things I wanted to ask though, that is sort of um, uh, distilling uh, several different comments is just, are there fixes that can be made to the game that would make it uh, that would change this moral calculus, not make it simple, but that would change it. Joel, you want to, I mean, I think there are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Well, you go, Steve, and then I'll, I'll, I'll ride off of you. Let's uh, see. Well, you go first, man. So the, the problem, football doesn't really have a, I mean, everything you've said about it, everything everybody said about it, it's beauty and grace and so forth. Absolutely. 100%. I watched John Elway play in college and it was miraculous to watch him throw a ball that nobody thought he could 90 yards off his back heel. It was an act of grace that uh, still lives in my mind. So hallelujah to that. But also football has a physics and physiology problem. You know, the human brain is soft. It's inside a hard shell. And there are these constant impacts. It's not the concussions that are dangerous. It's the subconcussive events 1500 times a year that players are having. And there's, there are ways to fix that, but until fans decide that, like Matt, they're going to step away from the game, it's just not going to change until the economic incentives change. All right. Joel, yes or no? Do you think football will change for the better oh, over no, the next 10 years? No. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that goes for a lot of things, uh, but definitely football, certainly, too. <laughs> <laughs> We've been talking about the ethics of watching football with Joel Anderson, staff writer at Slate, and one of the hosts of Slow Burn, and Steve Almond, author of Against Football, One Fan's reluctant manifesto you've been listening to forum i'm alexis madrigal thanks for all of our callers and commenters stay tuned for another hour of forum ahead with mina kim
Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.